Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Before turning the call over to Jonathan Ross Goodman, CEO of Knight, listeners are reminded that portions of today's discussion may, by their nature, necessarily involve risk and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those contemplated by the forward-looking statements. The company considers the assumptions on which these forward-looking statements are based to be reasonable at the time they were prepared, but cautious that these assumptions regarding the future events many of which are beyond the control of the company and its subsidiaries, may ultimately prove to be incorrect. The company disclaims any intention or obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements, whether a result of new information, future events, except as required by law. We would also like to remind you questions during today's call will be taken from analysts only. Should there be any further questions, please contact Knight's Investor Relations Department via email to info at knighttx.com or via phone at 514-678-8930. I would like to remind everyone that this call is being recorded today, March 25th to 2021, and would now like to turn the meeting over to your host for today's call, Jonathan Ross Goodman. Please go ahead, Mr. Goodman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Night Therapeutic fourth quarter and year-end 2020 conference call. I'm joined on today's call with Samira Sakia, our President and Chief Operating Officer, Amal Khoury, our newly promoted Chief Business Officer, Yahoo! Arvind Utana, our Chief Financial Officer, and Jeff Martins, our VP Commercial. The past year was a transformative year for Knight with the completion of the acquisition of Grupo Biotoscana. Despite the challenges due to COVID-19, we continue to progress our integration while advancing on our product portfolio in both Canada and Latin America. We've received regulatory approvals from Health Canada for Ipstrella, Imbexi, Pajuva, and received regulatory approval for Limbima and Halibin in Ecuador. We continue to focus on we continue to focus on our mission to acquire, in license, develop, and commercialize innovative medicines and high-quality branded treatments to improve the health of patients in Latin America and Canada. I would now like to turn the call over to Samir, who will walk through the corporate update. Thank you, Jonathan, and good morning, everyone. First of all, I'd like to extend my own Yahoo and congratulate Amal on her promotion to Chief Business Officer. Amal was Jonathan's first hire at Knight, and during the last seven years, he has done an amazing job in leading Knight's corporate and business development, as well as corporate strategy. Amal was instrumental in the diligence and negotiation of the acquisition of Vienna Toscana, and in 2020, led the mandatory tender offer and navigated the complexities of Brazilian securities laws to get it done. I also want to welcome Jeff to Team Knight. Jeff has been working with us over the last year to in harmonizing commercial efforts, including marketing, sales, and market access throughout Latin America. 
Jeff has over 20 years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry in marketing, market access, and sales, and comes to us from Novartis, where he led several, where he held several executive roles at Novartis in Canada, which is part of the LATCAN region, as well as Australia. <clears throat> over the last year, we have been focused on managing through the pandemic while continuing to integrate. As we've discussed before, Biotoscana was an amalgamation of four different companies, two of which were regional licensing organizations and two branded generic companies in Argentina. Further, the operations ran as individual countries operating independently. Over the last year, we have focused our efforts in bringing all five companies, including Knight, together. We have made great strides in our commercial leadership teams at both the regional and country level. We've expanded our business development organization and have made progress in filling key roles with top talent in finance. During 2021, my focus will be to continue to strengthen our scientific affairs and manufacturing structures. In addition, we will continue to implement systems and processes which will bolster efficiencies, coordination, and compliance. As we get through integration, we are building a stronger platform for continued growth. Turning now to the 2020 NCIB, which we launched in July of last year. Under this NCIB, Knight can purchase up to 10.9 million common shares until July 2021. During the year, we purchased 944,000 common shares for, an ag for aggregate cash consideration of approximately $5.5 million. So far in 2021, we have purchased an additional 2.9 million common shares at an average price of $5.25 per share for, for aggregate cash consideration of $15.2 million. In addition, late last year, we filed a short form base shelf prospectus, which enables Knight to offer for sale and issue up to $360 million in common shares, subscription receipts, and debt securities from time to time for a period of 25 months during which the shelf remains valid. I will now turn the call over to Amal for an update on BD activities. Thank you, Samira. Uh, as previously mentioned, an important part of our BD effort in 2020 went towards completing the sender offer process in Brazil that resulted in the acquisition of 100% of GBT in the third quarter followed by delisting in both Brazil and Luxembourg. In parallel to completing the acquisition, we dedicated our efforts to strengthening our BD capabilities and ensuring coverage and expertise across our expanded region. Today, our team is spread across four countries and is led by our new head of business development, Stefani Saverio, who's based in Sao Paulo in Brazil. Saverio joined Knight in August of last year. He has over 20 years of experience in pharma having spent the last 12 years at Ache, one of the largest Brazilian pharmaceutical companies. At Ache, Severio led both business development and R&D activities that resulted in the launch of over 300 branded generics and innovative products across Latin America. On the portfolio side, we completed market assessments across our key countries to identify and prioritize key therapeutic areas and further refine our portfolio strategy. We will continue to focus in oncology, hematology, infectious diseases, immunology, gastrointestinal, and central nervous system. We will pursue a three-pronged strategy to build our portfolio. First, we will pursue the acquisition of innovative legacy products from Big Pharma. Second, we will enlighten innovative late-stage products. 
and third, we'll develop our branded generics portfolio for select Latin American countries. I will now turn the call over to Jeff to go over the product update. Thank you very much, Amal. Uh, it is my pleasure uh, to provide the first update on our products, as well as our commercial structure, which continue to advance in this year of integration. Starting with our structure, as Samara mentioned, we focused our efforts on integrating and regionalizing our strategic brand planning process and strengthened our teams both by promoting internal talent as well as recruiting externally. As for our products, we continue to advance our portfolio throughout our region. In the first quarter of 2020, we launched Crescemba in Brazil for the treatment of invasive aspergillosis and invasive mucomarcosis for adults. Knight holds the rights to commercialize the product in all of Latin America and is in early launch phase in multiple countries, Argentina, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, and Peru. Knight also launched Carfib in Argentina, which is indicated for relapsed or refractory multiple myeloma. During the year, Knight received regulatory approval from Health Canada for Ibsrella for the treatment of irritable bowel syndrome with constipation. Ibsrella was launched earlier this month and is now covered by most private insurance companies in Canada. Knight also received regulatory approval for both Invexi and Bejuva. Invexi and estradiol vaginal insertion has been approved for the treatment of postmenopausal moderate to severe dyspareunia, a symptom of VVA due to menopause. Bejuva is a once daily combination of estradiol and progesterone in a single oral capsule and was approved for the treatment of moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms due to menopause. We expect to launch both products in 2022. Moreover, Knight has obtained regulatory approval for Lymphema and Halivan in Ecuador. Lymphema has been approved for several indications and is used to treat patients with thyroid, hepatocellular, and advanced renal cell carcinomas. Halivan is used for the treatment of locally advanced metastatic breast cancer and unresectable soft tissue sarcoma. Lymphema and Halivan have both been launched in Brazil, Argentina, Chile, and Peru, and we are pending approval in Colombia. And with that, I'll pass it over to Arvind to go over our financial results. Thank you, Jeff. In the course of this conference call, I will refer to EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, and adjusted earnings, which are non-IFRS measures. Knight defines EBITDA as operating loss or income, excluding amortization and impairment of intangible assets, depreciation, purchase price accounting adjustment, and the impact of hyperinflation accounting. Adjusted EBITDA excludes acquisition costs and run recurring expenses. We define earnings as uh, adjusted earnings as adjusted EBITDA plus net interest income from cash, marketable securities, and make loans. I am pleased to report that for the quarter ended December 31st, 2020, we reported revenues of $55.2 million an increase of $17.9 million, or 48%, compared to the same period last year. For the 12-month period, we reported revenues of just under $200 million, an increase of $152 million, or 320% compared to last year. The growth in revenues is explained by the consolidation of a full year of GBT's results, compared to only one month in 2019. 
In 2020, Nike generated revenues of $78.7 million in Brazil, $37.8 million in Argentina, $34.8 million in Colombia, and $33.9 million in the rest of Latin America. For the quarter ended December 31st, 2020, we reported a gross margin of $20.1 million, or 36%, compared to $18.4 million, or 49% in the same period last year. For 2020, gross margin was $81.7 million, or 41% compared to $26.9 million, or 57% in 2019. Excluding the impact of hyperinflation, the gross margin would have been 40% for the quarter and 44% for the year. Furthermore, we recorded an inventory write-off of $3.2 million during the quarter and $10 million for the full year, mainly due to the impact of COVID-19 on certain new product launches. Our operating expenses increased by $5.8 million for the quarter and $50 million for the year compared to the same periods in 2019. The increase for both periods is mainly explained by the consolidation of GBT's results, which accounted for $11.2 million of incremental expenses for the quarter and $56.4 million for the full year. The increase is partially offset by one-time costs related to the GBT acquisition and the public proxy battle incurred in 2019. The interest earned on cash, marketable securities, and strategic loans for the quarter was $2.8 million, a decrease of $2.6 million, or 48% compared to the fourth quarter of 2019. For the 12-month period, interest income was $14.3 million, a decrease of $9.2 million, or 39% compared to last year. The decrease during both periods is due to a decrease in interest rates, as well as a decrease in our cash, marketable securities, and strategic loan receivable balances. In addition, we recorded interest expense on our bank loan of just under $404,000 for the quarter and $2.4 million for the year. The EBITDA for the quarter was a loss of $832,000 compared to a positive EBITDA of $228,000. The decrease was mainly driven by $3.2 million of inventory write-off and partially offset by a quarter of consolidation of GBT's results. EBITDA for the year was $7.8 million compared to a negative EBITDA of $9.4 million last year due to the consolidation of GBT's results. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was $1.8 million, a decrease of $4.4 million, or 71% compared to the same period last year. The adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was impacted by a lower gross margin due to product mix, inventory write-offs, and foreign exchange, as well as an increase in operating expense due to the timing of our commercial initiatives. For the 12-month period, our adjusted EBITDA was $16.8 million, an increase of $14 million over last year. Adjusted earnings for the fourth quarter of 2020 were $4.2 million, a decrease of $7.1 million compared to the same quarter last year. For 2020, adjusted earnings were up $28.7 million, or $2.7 million compared to the same period last year. Now moving on to gains and losses that are not reflected in adjusted earnings. We recorded a net gain on financial assets, 
measured at fair value through PNL of $25.4 million during the quarter and $48.1 million for the year. The gain is mainly coming from our strategic fund investments. I will now turn the call back to Samira. Samira, you may be on mute. Thank you, Arvind. Uh, since, the last, since the start of the pandemic last year, our focus has been on ensuring that physicians and patients continue to receive uninterrupted quality medications in all territories. Our teams have, been fo have remained focused on taking care of each other while continuing to build and grow the business. And I want to thank all our Knights for their continued dedication to building a leading Pan-American XUS specialty pharmaceutical company. Looking ahead, we remain con committed on continuing to integrate and grow Knight. And with cash, cash equivalent, and marketable securities of $392 million, or $3 per share, we will be focused on bringing new business development opportunities. I'll now turn the call back to Jonathan for his concluding remarks. Thank you, Samira, and I'm never on mute. Um, firstly, I just really want to congratulate Amal again. Um, Amal, firstly, this team um, that, that, that has, has presented to you this morning, we've been working together, I've just calculated, uh, for about 45 years together. It's, it's, it's staggering, and we're going to continue to make people better and drive great shareholder value. And I'm, I'm very nothing, – nothing makes me prouder than watching, watching this team grow and – and, and execute flawlessly. Thank you for the confidence in my team. And this concludes our formal remarks. I'll now open up the call to questions. Operator? Thank you. Before we begin, may I please remind you, questions during today's call will be taken from analysts only. Should there be any further questions, please contact Knight's Investor Relations Department via email to info at knighttx.com or via phone at 514 678-8930. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any key. We will pause for a moment to allow questions to queue. And it looks like we have a question from Andre Uden from Mackey Capital. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I was just wondering in terms of um, maybe you could just discuss where uh, Canadian drug prices are in terms of both acquiring and in licensing relative to the last few years. Just curious. Sure. So, Andre, you want to ask about the licensing efforts or the pricing side? The pricing side, just in terms of sure. where the prices are. Um, so, as you as you may have seen in the papers and over the last. Several years, uh, the PMPRB has been has been on an effort to change drug pricing in Canada to reduce it. It's really about changing the list price and not really uh, not the price that most provinces pay because the the provincial price is governed through PCPA. Uh, that that legislation went into or the regulations and guidelines went into effect as of Jan 1 this year, and they're being implemented as of uh, July 1 of this year. And the, the, the slight six-month delay has been because of COVID. 
um, there is going to be a reduction on the the changes really going from that seven country basket to 11 countries, which includes more countries in Europe as well as Japan. Um, and it, it had it has impacted our ability to in license because obviously the price in Canada impacts prices in other countries. It also impacts our profitability that we're able to achieve. And when we set out for our kind of our global footprint and what we looked at is kind of where the Canadian market was, where other markets are, and where can we as a company achieve uh, growth. And that's why we positioned ourselves for Latin America. We're obviously not abandoning Canada. Canada is a great market, but we need to be mindful of the, the, the level of growth we can achieve here. And so just in terms of do you wanted to acquire, for example, a legacy asset or something like that in Canada, are the prices for such an asset, have they gone up or down? Um, can you just comment on that as well, please? Are you, are you, do you mean about price in the market or uh, acquisition price of an Acquisition asset? prices, yes, and then licensing prices as well. So right now when we look for for legacy asset acquisition, we're doing it not on a Canada-only basis because we have the Pan American XUS footprint. Um, all in her, and I will let her add to it some more, but she, she and her team are looking at various combinations and permutations of all of our territories, some of our territories, just Latin America. Um, valuations have been competitive for years and we don't see that changing at any time soon because these are always competitive processes. Sorry, Amal, I'm going to turn it over to you. No, fully agree, Samira. Uh, I would say from a purchase price perspective, it's we it, it's 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 similar dynamics. It's really deal specific. Um, no, no major changes. Kind of um, uh, at, at a general comment. And, and just um, in terms of, I wanted to ask you also about your. Um, VC investments. I know you made an investment um, in several VCs over uh, a few years ago for about 125 million. And I'm just wondering if have you tried to monetize those investments, or what your plans are with uh, those investments? If you can comment. Sure. So we, as we said over the last couple of years, the VC investments have been have proven to be very successful on a financial basis. Unfortunately, the reason we did them was to be able to in-license more products. And that hasn't really uh, shown any real traction on it. So we're not looking to invest in new VC projects. That being said, we don't really need the cash at this point. We have cash on the balance sheet of 392 today. Um, so we're not really looking to divest. And what we're seeing is that because they're performing really well, there's no need, and if we were to try and sell on the secondary market, we'd have to take a discount, and we don't need to do that right now. And when do you think you could realize those VC gains? We are already realizing a lot of VC gains. Um, we're seeing that the distributions that we're getting from the funds actually are it's now starting to exceed the capital calls. And as of the end of December, we have about a we have a commitment of just around 30 million left. Um, the funds are expiring between kind of one of them as early as later this year to about 
10 years from now. And they're, they're kind of scaling out, but we're starting, we've been seeing distributions for a while. And just one last question. If you look at your drug portfolio um, across the board, what would be your top three growth drivers for 2021? Thank you. Well, we're growing. So uh, we're growing in a lot of different places. We're growing in our oncology space. We're growing in our infectious disease space. And we're growing in our BGX space. Um, and everybody is really focused, despite COVID, to execute on that. So we're seeing it with in uh, Lenvima and Halivan. We're seeing it, and especially even uh, as a especially Chris Samba as well, where it's launching in Brazil. We are going to see growth even on Ambison, which got really hit uh, badly by COVID last year, and in Canada on Neuralink's Trail Star it's Thank you. Our next question is from David Martin from Bloom Burton. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Um, First question, uh, you had quite an increase uh, sequentially from Q3 to Q4, um, despite COVID still being uh, rampant in uh, Latin American countries. I, I'm wondering what accounted mainly for that uh, sequential increase. Was it the launch of Crisemba? Um, was there inventory adjustments or is, uh, is there just seasonality in the LATAM business? Sure. Um, I'm going to give a quick answer, and then I'll actually turn it over to Jeff. So in Q3, we actually had the inventory adjustment happen, where we saw a little bit of a downtick because of COVID, wholesalers had started to rational to limit their um, the inventory that we were carrying. And there was never, there was never a fundamental issue related to the product. And as we came into Q4, things normalized back because there was nothing fundamental there. The second thing is that while COVID was rampant or is rampant today, there was a little bit of a lift um, because it's the summer in Brazil, Argentina, and Chile. And similar to what we saw in our summer last year, there was a little bit of opening. Uh, Jeff? Okay. I really don't know if there's much more I would add, um, I guess, other than, um, you know, it's it's so hard to predict with COVID, the, the movement quarter on quarter. But, I mean, to Samara's point, um, we, we did see um, uh, oncology treatments increase in Q4 versus Q3, which I think helped. Um, and, and I think that drove some of what you're seeing in Q4. The um, the destocking in Q3 and then normalizing in Q4 is much of Q4 stocking back up. Like, did sales exceed use of the drugs, or did the, it largely reflect use of the drugs? It it largely reflected the use because the the destocking that happens, and then when you nor when they continue to purchase for what they need. If let's say they went from 90 to 60 days, there was a month less that happened in Q3, but Q4, it's still it's now full three months. Okay, okay. Um, next question. Um, I, I think 
your the profile of the drugs that you acquire in licensing Canada are different from the profile of the type of drugs you you uh, in license for Latin America. Um, are, are you able to rationalize that? And will we see drugs that uh, you acquire in license for both Canada and Latin America? Um, I'm going to let Amal answer that question. Uh, thanks, Amira. So, so I would say um, maybe just a, a correction to, to, to the statement that, that you made. Uh, there will be uh, drugs with the same profile that we will be looking to unlicense for the entire territory, so for both Canada and Latin America. Um, so, for example, if you look at uh, legacy assets that we, that we look to acquire, products with existing sales, those, that's the type of product that we would acquire across our territory. Same goes for in licensing of innovative assets. Um, again, if rights are available, uh, we'll, you know, we'll go after those types of products for the entire territory. Where there is a, a difference potentially on type of product or uh, anything that's more on the branded generic uh, side, that's the type of product that have uh, an opportunity in, in LATAM rather than in Canada. Uh, so that's where you'll see that distinction. So overall, uh, you know, we're still we're still looking for uh, products across our territories, but we want to, of course, remain flexible and adapt to specific market needs uh, if there is an opportunity that works for one part of the territory rather than the other. Okay, thank you. And my last question is, with, with the cash that you have on the balance sheet now, is it... Uh, is it going to be block and tackling your way to a bigger portfolio? Um, would you look at buying something like GBT again? And are you focused now just on Canada and LATAM, or could you buy some, something someplace else in the world? I'm going to let them all answer that as well. So, so we're focused on Canada and LATAM. Um, we need to, you know, complete our integration. We need to... Um, to start building on, uh, on on the platform that we have. So the focus geographically is going to be Canada, LATAM. In terms of acquisitions, uh, the focus is going to be products and product portfolios. Uh, on the M&A side, potentially uh, bolt-on um, uh, for, you know, if we see a good opportunity for an acquisition that really brings something specific that complements the business, whether it's in terms of um, footprints or capabilities or portfolio. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. Our next question comes from Justin Keywood from Stifle. Your line's open. Please go ahead. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. I just had a question on the inventory uh, right down, and I believe this occurred in a couple quarters in a row. I'm just wondering what the dynamic is there and if you can give some additional color and, and do you expect that uh, the write downs to um, you know maybe uh, normalize uh, going forward? Thank you. Well, Justin, I can tell you we don't like to have inventory write downs, but I'm gonna let Arvind answer this question. Thank you, Samra. So, I mean, as we've said before in previous quarters, we've been impacted by COVID and especially on the new launches. Uh, we continuously continue to monitor our launches, but uh, at this point, we can't really predict uh, what's going to be happening in the future because we're really trying to balance 
the new launches as well as the uh, limitation of our supply chain, which is in certain cases a limited shelf life on our products as well as long lead time. But as Samira mentioned, we're, we're really working hard to minimize any future future impact in terms of right now. Thanks, Jonathan. And this and this overage in inventory is is a function of uh, inherited, and we're doing a much better job now forecasting inventory so that we don't ever have to take these types of rate downs again. Great, appreciate that caller. And is there like um, like some type of uh, ERP systems that's being uh, implemented to to manage it, or the use of technology, or or just better forecasting? Uh, hi, Justin. All of the above. So there is a lot of work being done on forecasting um, at the local level, at the global level, and. Arvind and his team are now in the process of implementing a global ERP system because that never existed before. It was all manual. And that global ERP system, is that still in the early stages of being implemented? I, I know these projects can be quite co comprehensive, or is that well underway? It's underway, and we so. Let me just actually speak to integration. So one of the things is we are, it's not just integration of people and companies, we're integrating systems, whether it's ERP, whether it's learning, HR, pharmacovigilance, and we expect integration uh, to continue for the next year or so. Okay, I appreciate that additional color. And then I just had a broader question on M&A. I know there's already been a few questions around this, but I'm just wondering on timing. Um, you know, obviously there, there's a few headwinds, you know, in the near term, but it, it does seem like the, the business remains, you know, profitable and and maybe you know characterized kind of this as the as the bottom level. Um, is there like I'm just wondering, can we get a sense of timing when when there may be some some M and A in in bolting on to the, the Latinam platform, or or would you prefer to just kind of manage the business and maybe you know integrate some of the ERP systems in, in the interim just to make sure the, the platform you know is well underhand to you know then pursue some further M and A. So I'm going to answer one half, and then I'm going to turn it over to Amal for timing. Our team has been focused on multiple prongs, and one is integration, one is continuing and making sure that we're running the business properly, and the third is in licensing and acquisition. So we have been doing that for the since we since we did this transaction. The focus last year was the second half of the transaction, because if you recall, the, we only bought 50% of Yosescana, and then we had to buy the second half. And in the meantime, we were also pursuing other activities, um, but it's, it, it's not a one or the other uh, proposition here. We're doing it all. So, sorry, Amal, if you could just answer on timing. Yeah, I mean, uh, timing. You know, I can I can comment on the timing of the effort, which is where uh, we are working in parallel to integration. As Samira said, uh, commenting on timing of a future acquisition is not something that we can comment on. As you know, there's a lot of factors that that that, that play into that, including when the opportunities are available. Uh, but we are. Uh, 
um, we are pursuing. We're, we're not. We haven't taken a break to say kind of let's let's integrate first. We're, we're doing all of that effort in parallel, and um, we, we 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 have to be you know focused and and selective as to the type of M&A opportunities that come our way uh, to make sure that we're you know we're doing uh, we're doing the right deals at the right time. Mm-hmm. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you for taking my questions. next question comes from Andre Lino from National Bank. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, good morning, and uh, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, uh, so, sorry to, to uh, get, get on the inventory uh, uh, question again, but uh, just a, a couple uh, quick, uh, quick ones there, if I may. Uh, you mentioned that in, in Q4, uh, it was, I mean, the situation was more or less balanced, uh, but uh, Q1, I mean, you've seen a lot of cases in Brazil or certain parts of Brazil, rather. I mean, would you say that there, I mean, would that Q4 situation continue into Q1, or have you seen any kind of shift or differences in there? And as a second part of the question, is there any opportunity to uh, for example, move inventory from one country to another, right? Because some, some of them are moving at different speeds, like sort of from Brazil to Argentina or to Chile and so on. Right. Uh, thank you, Andrea. I'm going to ask Arvind to answer this question. Uh, thank you, Andrea. So in terms of the movement between Q4 and Q1, it, it's uh, really hard to predict because there's also a bit of seasonality and COVID into play. So the, the other point I wanted to mention on the Q4 uh, um, improvement was also like uh, in, in LATAM, like this was also the beginning of summer for LATAM. And as you know, there, there was a lift down on certain restrictions, which also helped uh, help our initiatives in, in LATAM. Whether that continues into Q1 remains to be seen, especially given the recent uh, lockdowns and, and third wave in certain countries in, in LATAM. And in terms of inventory, the question of inventory, so we, continuous, uh, we continuously assess moving uh, inventory between the different countries, uh, especially to avoid write-downs. In some cases, we have uh, certain uh, products where we have a unique uh, SKU where, where it can be moved across different restrictions in LATAM, but in, in other cases, we have restrictions depending on the, uh, on the regulatory approval or even shelf life, which really uh, mitigates how much we can move around. Great. No, th- thank you. Uh, thank, thank you for that answer. Uh, I, I just wanted to ask on actually, uh, Chris Semba, because I mean, it has come up as potentially as, as the source of growth going forward. I mean, how is it doing at this point in terms of the launch when you compare to your modified expectations uh, versus uh, given, given the situation, the pandemic? Thanks, Andrea. I'm going to uh, let uh, Jeff answer this question. Yeah, so uh, on, on Crescemba, I think uh, what we've seen is the launch is, is going well and it's underway in, in multiple countries. Um, the launch, in, particularly in Brazil, as you can imagine, launching a medicine during a pandemic is extremely difficult um, and hard to predict. So that, I think, has uh, uh, got us to a point now where we're adapting uh, to that situation. I, I, we have seen uh, nice traction. Uh, with Crescemba due to our promotional efforts in Q4, um, although we're cautious because um, Brazil is, is going back down to a lockdown. So again, these things are hard to predict. But 
um, so far I'd say uh, things are going to plan. And I just uh, want to add, in, in, yeah. sorry, I just wanted to add in markets where we had an earlier launch, uh, especially a market like Mexico where they had launched in 2019, the product is performing much better than expected because a third of patients, COVID patients actually do get uh, invasive fungal infections where Cristamba can be very helpful. Um, but unfortunately, so it's kind of a balancing on overall, it's, it's doing okay, but in one market it's doing really well. In, in the other one where we have a lot of headwinds to, to be able to launch during the pandemic. No, th thank you. No, that, that's great uh, color, actually. Uh, and the, the uh, last question for me is that, I mean, we, we've heard some cases anecdotally and some cases not, that there has been a delay in care because of uh, COVID uh, and sort of a pent-up demand, especially when it comes to even cancer treatments. I mean, have you seen something like that or do, do you have you seen any evidence of that, particularly in, in Brazil, right, like that is being most impacted for now or any of the other countries uh, in Latin America? Thank you. Hi, Andrew. We, we're actually seeing that in all of our markets, that uh, diagnosing patients are, are not going uh, to, to get uh, tested or diagnosed, and diagnoses are taking a little bit longer. Um, just like Jeff mentioned earlier, one of the upticks or a small uptick that we saw in, in Q4 was treatments in oncology where patients started to go back. Um, do we believe that there's going to be some sort of uptick in demand? Uh, there may be, and it'll really depend on the product where we'll see it. Great. Uh, that's it from you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andre. Once again, that is star in one to ask a question. We'll take our next question from Douglas Meehan from ARB Capital. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Um, first off, congratulations, Amal. Um, second, um, you know, a lot of these questions have been asked, but one of the things I am curious about is that I know previously Mexico was a focus for the company and as a bolt-on or trying to identify products that you could license in uh, or purchase. Uh, could you tell us how that market's been developing for you, if there's anything on the horizon that you could talk about? Thanks, thanks, Doug. Um, I'm not gonna talk about anything that's on the horizon, but I'm gonna let Amal answer the rest of the question. Thanks, Amira, thank you, Doug. Um, yeah, I mean, we Mexico continues to be a priority for the same reason that we mentioned earlier, which is we, we have a young affiliate and then really need to build. Um, so, so we are, uh, you know, we are continuing to, um, to look at opportunities for the entire territory, including Mexico, but also specifically to see if there are opportunities, uh, even if it's only for Mexico, that's, that's also something that we're, uh, that we're considering, um, the, you know, Mexico itself is going through some some challenges with the uh, with, with the relatively recent uh, government and whatever impact that had on the uh, on their health authority. 
Um, but but everyone everyone in, in the industry is dealing with that, and um, we're again we're we're looking at that to see if there are any specific opportunities. Uh, but all to say, we continue to it continues to be a priority and a focus for us to build in Mexico, whether it's through uh, products or portfolios or even uh, M and A. Okay, great. And the second one is more general. It has to do with expected returns or hurdle rates that the company is willing to accept um, between Canada and LATAM. Uh, given the changes in Canada we are seeing, are you prepared to um, you know, look for lower returns out of Canadian acquisitions or purchases, or you, you don't, you're not seeing that and um, you know, LATAM is still your first choice? Um, no. Sorry, go ahead, Samira. Sorry, go ahead, Amanda. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, kind of in terms of the focus, again, we're looking at our entire territory. Uh, rate of return is really an opportunity-specific, um, so it depends on the risk profile that comes uh, with the specific acquisition or, or, or in licensing opportunity that we're looking at. Uh, but we are looking across our territory, and again, it's I would say it's more opportunity specific uh, rather than a general uh, territory uh, return rate. And one thing okay, I would add is we also look at we also look at it on a portfolio basis. We may take a little bit of a lower return if we know that this is going to set us up for something bigger later. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from David Novak from Raymond James. Your line is open. Please go ahead. David, David your line is open. Sorry about that. I was also on the <laughs> Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. And, and also, congratulations to them all. Um, I really just have one broad industry question this morning, uh, and that's th there's been a fair bit of noise recently from the FTC and its counterparts in other countries, which seems to reflect a move to a tougher M&A regulatory environment in major jurisdictions. J just wondering if you could share some insight into how, if at all, you view this impacting your BD pipeline going forward. Do, do you see this impacting a licensee's willingness to out-license specific assets, for example, or, or what are the broader implications here as you see it? Um, I'm gonna, I don't think we're really seeing much of that, but I'll let Amal, who's closer to it, answer that question. Yeah, I agree, and, and thank you, David. Um, I, I agree. We're, we're not really seeing yet a direct impact of that on the, um, you know, on on the availability of uh, for licensing uh, opportunities or activities. But we'll we'll continue to 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 monitor to see if we if we start seeing any direct impact. Great. Thanks so much. I'll hop back in the queue. question comes from David Martin from Bloomburn. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Yeah, just a follow-up question uh, related to the inventory management of the wholesalers. Uh, you mentioned, and we've seen in the news, that they're going back into lockdown. Uh, are you seeing the wholesalers uh, running down their stock again, or that's not happening this time? 
So right now, we are not seeing a, a shift in that. Uh, I think they, they, there was that one blip that we saw in Q3. Uh, you have to also remember in these markets, things like transportation, movement of goods is, is, a, is a little bit more difficult than what you see in Canada. I mean, getting a product from uh, Montreal to Vancouver takes it, you know, it's, it's safe and it's easy to do and it takes a couple of days when you're going from a warehouse in a location in Brazil to Northern Brazil, it may, it may be more complex. So the wholesalers do like to have more safety than what you would normally see in the channel. And um, we're not, we're, we're, we don't expect there to be for much further reduction, even if there is some reduction. Okay, thanks. Once again, that is star and one to ask a question. Our next question comes from Rob Curry from Lewisburg Investment. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, just really wanted to zero in here on Canada for a second. Um, probably going to ask some uh, ignorant questions here, but you know, when you, when you look at the, uh, uh, the Patented Medicine Prices Review Board, kind of what they're talking about, you mentioned that earlier. Um, you know, you said that it's more of a list price thing, but then also it's going to impact you. Can you just uh, just give me a little bit more clarity on what what you mean by that, and and kind of what you expect uh, the hit could be in terms of revenue going forward, just on like a percentage? Like, are you seeing your drug prices drop, you know, five to ten percent, or like if you can give any kind of number there to kind of sure. help me zero in on, that'd be great. Okay, so the way PMPRB works is first of all, it only regulates patented medicines. They don't regulate broader than that. Um, they also they have visibility when it comes to the patent, just the list price. They don't look at if we have a discount that we work with at the provincial level. So a great example of that is a product like Perbufine, which we sell, which is a patented product. We sell it across Canada. We have an agreement with the provinces, pretty much everyone except British Columbia, where there is a price for them. Um, that price is going to be compared to what it's being sold for in several European countries. Um, and we know what our price is. We know what the European price is. And in this specific case, we're not going to see a reduction. Um, in, in the night portfolio, uh, the... The, the fact that we are so young and we don't have a very big portfolio, we're really not going to see much of an impact on a lot of our business because we've only got a few products out there. Um, but we will see comparator prices in Canada to products that we may want to bring to Canada drop. So you have a, you know, there may be a product that we want to have in oncology or CNS or GI that we want to bring to Canada. And it's no longer feasible because as a licensor, we're, we have a profit kind of sharing with our partner. And if you have a low price for Canada, it's just not financially feasible either for the partner or for ourselves to, continue, to launch that product in Canada. Yeah, that's super helpful. Thanks so much. Uh, just a quick follow-up, okay. if I could. Um, there's, you know, when I think about 
the kind of business model that you guys are running and looking back to the, the Paladin days. And, and uh, you know, this is obviously an operating leverage business. You guys have had a lot of M&A questions on the call already, so I won't uh, do that again. But, you know, it, I guess the question is, you're, you talk about you're looking at your portfolio more broadly, but I don't know that that's necessarily fair because there would be some areas of your portfolio that would be already hitting that operating leverage that we saw, that we see with these types of business models, and then other areas that would be still being a drag, you know, Canada being, uh, being one of them. So if you're kind of saying that Canada is going to be a tougher place to have more licenses, is it going to be is it going to continue to be a drag on earnings for the foreseeable future, or do you see it reaching profitability? And and how does that work? I guess the kind of the broader question is like, what's going to be the cadence of margin going forward? Are we going to start um, seeing more operating leverage come through over the next five years, or is it going to be more of a we got to wait uh, for ten years out before we start to see that? And um, th- that's really where the question is going: is wh- is when does operating leverage start to show up? And then, and how do you treat Canada if it's a drag on earnings now, if you can't really bulk it up necessarily? And that would be the same for other Latin uh, American regions as well, where the, the same would be true. How do you guys approach that, where some areas would have better density and some areas wouldn't? Sure. So it's very complicated. When we look at when we look in, at a at an acquisition of a product, it's really that is we don't look at it just on a region basis that it's bulking up the it's bulking up Brazil. It's more that it's bulking up our organization and making us able to afford the the launches that we have to do. So we're excited about the portfolio that we have in Canada and that does grow and it gets us to profitability. The the issue that we have is that we need to have, similar to most pharmaceutical companies, a balanced portfolio of products that are generating steady cash flows and products that we're investing in. So the priority for Amal and her team is to really strike that balance for us. And when it comes to the products that generate cash flows, we're not going to stay holy to it has to be for Canada or it has to be for Mexico because it's, it's shoring up the entire business. I guess, sorry, I'll just ask a clarification before I let it go here. But, um, you know, if you keep, if you don't necessarily, do you need uh, Canada to to help you at the negotiation table to also negotiate for Canada, even if Canada is a drag on earnings? I guess that's, you know, the, the problem, I guess what I'm saying is it feels like, why would you be in Canada? Why wouldn't you actually just almost eliminate that portfolio and move on if it's not going to be a great place for you guys anymore? Um, or, or if you're saying that, like, no, actually having this kind of scale helps us negotiate yeah, I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that. Sure. I'm going to actually let Amal answer how Canada factors into her negotiations. Uh, sure. So, I mean, as, as Samira said, Canada continues to be an important market. Um, and when it comes to negotiation on territories, there's, of course, our preference uh, to uh, enlightened or acquire products for our entire territory, but we're only one of two parties usually in a transaction. So also a lot of it depends on what the uh, seller or or licensor is looking for. So we really have to balance um, uh, kind of what what we're looking for versus what the licensor seller is looking for, Uh, balance that flexibility and look at what makes sense for the portfolio. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. I'll follow up on the margin uh, with the IR team there. Thanks. Okay. Our last question is from Tania Gonsalves uh, from Canaccord. Your line is open. Please go ahead. 
Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Just one for me here. Amal, I think you mentioned that you're focused on completing the integration of GBT right now. Could you provide some more color on exactly what else remains to be done? And I guess the, the timeline of when this will be completed and whether it could benefit the OPEX line in any way? Hi, Tanya. I'm going to take that. Uh, Amal's focused, uh, focused on building. Um, there's a whole bunch of us that are focused on integrating. So when it comes to integration, we've made a lot of strides on our commercial side, on the BD side. We're well on our way with finance, especially with the talent across the organization. We're going to continue to uh, sharpen that a little bit more. We're now my, my focus is really on the scientific affairs side, so that's uh, R&D, quality, regulatory, medical teams, and we really, uh, this year is going to be a push on that as well as on the manufacturing side. Um, and underneath all of that is systems and processes so that we work as one company and ensuring efficiencies, ensuring compliance, and really having the platform from which we can facilitate and quickly bring in a product, launch a product, track the inventory, report our numbers and analyze and be and you have to remember our industry is heavily regulated so when it comes to quality control when it comes to pharmacovigilance we want to be able to pass through without um, any you know big issues when it comes to audits from various agencies and whatever because that's always work um, and that's what we're that's really where we're we are. I'm going to say we're about halfway through, and there's another year of integration left for us. Perfect. And then when you talk about bulking up some of these teams, then is it safe to say that we're not necessarily going to see um, OPEX synergies, but may see, may see a rise as you build out these teams and optimize performance? Um, I think it's, it's, it's what I'm hoping to do is kind of balance between systems and people that we, we achieve some efficiencies and people are doing less manual exercise and more analytical exercise. That makes sense. Perfect. That's all for me. Thanks, Amira. Thank you. Once again, that is star and one to ask a question. It appears that we have no further questions at this time. I will now turn the program back over to our speakers for any additional or closing remarks. It's Jonathan speaking. As you know that I am frugal, some say cheap, and we have purchased in Q in um in 2021, we have purchased year-to-date 2.9 million shares at $5.25 a share. And I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Thank you for your confidence in the night team and joining our Q4 2020 conference call. Please stay healthy and stay safe. This does conclude today's program. Thank you for your participation. You may disconnect at any time.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.